interesting thing you know uh, for people who don't know uh, amazon go uh, you go in and uh, you buy things uh, and you don't have to no cash uh, you come out again but that's one concept in uk different ones in america san francisco new york passed a law that forced amazon to have a cashier regardless of the frictionless experience because rightfully because there are some people who don't have credit cards they should be able to go shop there as well the older you get the more you have to become more i mean at any time conscious of less privileged people that uh, need also have access to the same things we have, you know, things we take for granted. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of CX Insider. In today's episode, I am joined by my colleague Alex for the first time, and we are talking to Spiros Margaris, who is a global number one fintech, AI, and blockchain influencer. We will talk about embedded finance, future of cash and fintech, and why you should let your children be bored. I hope you'll enjoy this episode, and if you do, please don't forget to let us know on our LinkedIn page. By the way, this podcast was brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. Spiros is a venture capitalist, founder of Margaris Ventures, board member and senior advisor based in Switzerland. As a keynote speaker and futurist, influencing thousands of people, he always aims to have a balanced perspective on things. Today, Spiros, Alex and I talk about his views on embedded finance and the future of banking. But first, let's start with an introduction. I'm in the business of uh, investing in fintech startups and in different startups globally. Come originally was born in Switzerland. I make this short. Uh, lived in America for over 15 years, and back in Switzerland again. And I basically, by accident, I moved into the fintech space at the very beginning, when uh, you know 2014, and uh, through investments and association with certain fintech companies, and I grew with the market, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to grow with a great community. And became an influencer from day one, but that's just a, a side product from my main business of uh, investing in startups. And that I was lucky enough to have some good, good investments and good association with great startups. Two of them became unicorns, valuation of over $1 billion. Uh, that helps their reputation. But at the end, it's a community thing. And uh, I've been number one for a long time in the fintech space and AI, all these things, cybersecurity, et cetera. They're all part of this um, because, I mean, you can't be a great fintech company without deploying AI or all kinds of technologies. And uh, But my main job is investing. I do some speak engagements uh, and uh, and I share the things I read about uh, the things that interest me. I even share things that I don't agree with, I always say, but uh, it doesn't matter because uh, it doesn't mean I have to agree or not. It's I might be wrong, so that opinion might be right. So it's good to read not only the opinions you like, but also opinions that maybe have some points that are different from your view. And this way you stay a little bit balanced. And my main job is also advisory boards or boards uh, and advising CEOs or the management uh, 
on where the trends are going and the way I see those startups should develop. That doesn't mean they have to listen to me, but I, I'm fortunate enough that I can speak to them and to, to work with great people. But originally, I came from the hedge fund industry. I've been in asset management all my life. I had my own startups in New York. I had my own failures. So I, I know both sides. I don't only know the bright side of life, like most of us, and uh, that helps you to be credible. And that helps you to foresee certain things, maybe. I'm guessing most of you have heard of things like buy now, pay later, invisible payments, check out free in-store shopping. The trend of embedded finance is growing rapidly. According to Oracle, in the next 10 years, the value of the embedded finance market is expected to exceed $7 trillion. And many people are guessing whether embedded finance is a threat to traditional banking. So let's break it down. What exactly is embedded finance? Embedded finance is just part of fintech. Fintech for people who don't know financial technology. And uh, that's basically uh, where finance and the customer interacts directly or indirectly. And with finance, it will be done through technology. And fintech companies, uh, either as a challenger bank, like Mons or Starling or any other bank in America or Asia, or behind the scene, which provide technology in order for older banks or, or not even banks to allow customers to send money, remittances, uh, etc. That's fintech. I mean, it's very broad from wealth tech to etc. And better finance is part of it. That's why I started with fintech, financial technology. And usually, I mean, the goal is obviously the B2C market, business to consumer, to provide cheaper, better uh, financial solutions, solutions to people who didn't have, for instance, credit card before. Or for instance, I'll give a nice example. In India, through fintech, uh, women were, which a lot of women were not privileged enough to go to banks, open bank accounts, could open bank accounts through the internet. It was all usually the boys that were taken to the banks so it empowered women in in India. It empowers people in other countries where they didn't have credit card, no banking services, things we take for granted. That's fintech. I mean, in a nutshell. Embedded finance is a part of fintech. Basically, non-financial companies like Walmart or Volkswagen, just companies that have nothing to do with finance directly. They sell shoes, or they sell as a retailer but they have a huge customer base. They realize, I mean, a lot of, not realize, that's a trend that's going to last for a long time, realize that they can provide their own financial services through fintech to their customers. So basically, they have the customers, they, they sell milk, or they sell whatever they sell, they sell cars, and so let's sell them also insurances. They can, through technology, they, they can do things which before they had to work with a specific bank, which provided the service or insurances. So now, but they can embed it now, embed it within a business model, like added value. And uh, for instance, sometimes uh, you have customers, like Walmart or et cetera, that are not served by traditional financial institutions, but you like to have them for reasons, economic, whatever reasons, obviously. Uh, so Walmart built their own fintech solutions in order to provide those people with credit cards, for instance, etc., so they can shop within the shop, you know, uh, in a way that uh, 
they're valuable, they're credit worthy for them, but maybe not credit worthy for others. As an example, or as I said before, a car manufacturer that says, why don't them sell, why they, do we not provide our own loans or insurances? So anyone who has a lot of customers can, uh, can add fintech solutions within the offerings. And the interesting part about this is they don't really have to make money with this because they have their core business. They will make money if they want to, but it's, it's not their priority. I mean, of course, there's always priority, economic priority, business priority to make money. But for bank, the financial instruments and the solutions they provide, that's a business. But if you're a huge supermarket, your business is to sell milk, meat, uh, cornflakes, you, know, you name it. And if in addition, you can provide cheap uh, loans or cheap credit cards or whatever, that's just to attract more customers. Let's look at the timeline of these technologies. Understandably, fintech was not an overnight success, and innovation always needs good timing and the right circumstances to emerge. Financial technology always existed in some ways. Obviously, ATM machine is a fintech solution. But in 2014, a little before, the phrase fintech was coined. So as as what it is now, and uh, as a brand, and... As those companies grew, startups like Stripe, Glarna, uh, um, Buy Now, Pay Later, etc., it enabled them in not only to do the business for the you know some B two C companies for themselves, but there are other companies that provided these solutions to banks to anyone. So as the industry grew, people became more innovative of using those tools. Is it like before it didn't exist? You can make like 10 years ago, you couldn't imagine to have your own digital bank or to provide this kind of services. Or like Square. Square, Square is a great solution, which is called Block now. Jack Dorsey, who also founded Twitter, founded Square. So what did Square do as an example? There were artists on the street, etc., that could not uh, do uh, credit card transactions. In the old days, I mean, we're not talking that old days, but we, you know, time flies. So basically, with a, anyone with a smartphone could sh- at that time just stick something on his ha- smartphone and then basically allow the customer, an artist on the street, to pay with a credit card. You know, where before you needed a shop and uh, and you needed a contract, Mastercard, point of sales. And, and now, all of a sudden, uh, as a, one uh, innovative solution, Square, uh, allowed smaller retailers to very simple, elegant solutions to, to allow their customers to pay with credit cards. So that's why I always tell people we're just at the beginning, because what we've experienced so far is uh, the low-hanging fruits. So things that the big banks should have done, startups did. But as you have more solutions out there, there come young kids, so it doesn't matter what age, and think, oh, with this and that, I can do much more. You know, it's like I always say like a cake. You know, cake has different ingredients, sugar, uh, and then, then. But it comes out always different, depends who does it. It's like cooking. And the industry is like ingredients, salt, sugar, etc. 
And any, everyone can make a different cake. And that's the solutions that this come up, you know, and they see, for instance, a, a Amazon, which provides a lot of fintech solutions to its customers from lending, cash management, insurance, etc. So if you look around and say, oh, maybe we should do this too, or maybe we should do this and some additional things. You know, you can mix all these innovations in any way you, you see fit. I mean, that's why restaurants exist. I mean, we go to restaurants we love, but there's always a new restaurant coming up that basically maybe does things differently. Maybe but it's not even technology. It may be better customer experience, better atmosphere. That's the same with companies. It will never stop. There will be always somebody who comes up with something we didn't see coming. For instance, look at TikTok. We had YouTube. We had a lot of social media. And TikTok, for some reason, invented something that made the whole thing feel new and attract a lot of people. It's a really like baking a cake and everyone bakes it differently. And all this technology, Internet of Things, AI, uh, you name it, uh, helps you, depending on your skills, to produce something different. So you, you think over time, over time we will have some established way of things, of, of doing things, of purchasing through these different like uh, operators and service providers? Or, or do you think it will be always changing and always specific, let's say, providers doing their own thing? Or will they unify in any way? I think that's a very good question. For two answers. I hope yes that it will change constantly because it would be kind of sad and um, not sad, I mean, at least for me, and boring. And I think there will be always a better way of doing things because some things, when we look back, it will be so old-fashioned. You know, look at the research. I mean, Google is dominating now, but eventually it's not going to be dominating anymore, very clearly. Because uh, the smartphone will be the gatekeeper, which search engines you will use, you know. So basically, things always change, not against Google, but it's just life always changes. Anything that's been once dominating and you thought, my God, it can never change. I mean, but all of a sudden, changed. Oh, it's, uh, that's magical. I, I think there's no technology that will last forever. I mean, it can't be because, because I get bored and, uh, and new people get bored too. And they think, oh, maybe we can do it very differently. And I think uh, that's nature. It always, and, and sometimes people want just something different, even if it's good. Have you ever been to an Amazon Fresh store? It's a contactless shop where customers take items and leave without scanning them. They don't need to interact with anyone or use a till. Overall, it's a very convenient, seamless, and cashless experience. Interesting thing, you know, uh, for people who don't know, uh, Amazon Go, uh, you go in and uh, you buy things uh, and you don't have to, no cash, you come out again. But that's one concept in UK, different ones. But um, in America, San Francisco, New York passed a law that forced Amazon to have a cashier regardless of the frictionless experience, because, rightfully, because there are some people who don't have credit cards, you know, but they have cash. They should be able to go shop there as well. 
you know we have to with all technology we we advance we can't forget people who don't who are less privileged you know that's just one aspect and uh, i'm so i mean i'm very much in technology but the older you get the more you have to become more i mean at any time conscious of less privileged people that that uh, need also have access to the same things we have, you know, things we take for granted. In the UK, cash payments have been falling by around 15% every year. In 2020, the pandemic accelerated this process to 35%. It is evident we are heading towards a cashless society. However, there are still over 8 million adults relying on cash payments in the UK every day. And on top of that, there are also practical reasons why people use cash. I'm an extreme uh, proponent of cash. It gives you privacy. You know, uh, if everything would be digital, they would know everything. Uh, there was in China uh, a natural catastrophe. And for weeks, they didn't have electricity. Those people will never be without cash. You know, we, we take things for granted. I say, you know, who, who foresaw things like war, etc.? We might be without electricity. How, how will you pay? You know, you take things for granted which are not necessarily always there. So I think I hate solutions that are one-sided. I mean, uh, I'm for electric cars, but I'm also a motorhead. Uh, you know, because we might not have electricity all the time. It's like life. Life is not about one solution. It's like a relationship. It's about compromise. It's about having different aspects. If we only have one thing, it's a bad thing because we're very dependent. So I'm not for cashless society, although it's coming. But I think it would be smart to 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 leave cash still in the equation. But you know, like in Japan, there was a good uh, story I read lately where you educate small children who have no f- clue about um, what cash is, or when a lot of young people don't have, you know, when have they touched last time cash? They have their credit card, Apple Pay, etc. But we often use things if we're not in the space. I mean, if I were not in the fintech space, I would just don't think about it. You know, I would say, okay, I pay with my, uh, any way I can pay digitally. But it's good that we point out, also as influencer, point out, I always uh, post things about cashless society and, and the critical things. Point out those things that, you know, might be very convenient. But uh, doesn't mean it's always good. It might, it might be also convenient not to buy an insurance, but <laughs> until you need it, you know. A survey conducted in 2018 says that 54% of respondents trust at least one fintech company more than traditional banks, and 29% trust at least one fintech company more than their primary bank. However, when it comes to finances, one would say that people intuitively trust an established bank with decades, maybe a hundred years of experience more than a newly founded tech company. So what exactly is causing this shift? I think it's a generation thing, you know, how you grew up. I mean, if you grew up with uh, the first bank experience, you're a challenger bank, then the trust might be bigger. Uh, but I believe still the incumbents, the established banks, have a lot of trust. I mean, you might not find them as sexy or not sexy. I mean, they already improved the kind of user experience quite a bit. 
I think they will struggle to do more personalization for customers, you know, because of technology, uh, legacy systems. But I mean, it's a question where you put your salary slip in and eventually we will, it will, I think fintech companies will have more trust eventually like incumbents, but it's just a question of time. It's like, I remember when, uh, when we bought over the internet after dot-com crash, etc., some people had faith in it to buy things on Amazon or whatever. Some people didn't have faith. Now you don't think twice about it, you know, to buy online. And the same thing with challenger banks. Uh, I think the trust uh, will just grow because it will be more regulated and uh, more, more people will have only used their offerings as their prime banking. But I would not count, I think for many years to come, incumbents will, I think, will be as trustworthy or more, you know, at the moment. But uh, I think long term, I'm not talking uh, 100 years, but the next five to 10 years, I think that that will shift just a natural process, you know. We get more use, we don't have scandals. We haven't had really scandals in that space, as I can recall now. And then it becomes like, you know, why not? You know, as long as they're regulated, which they are, as long as your deposit are safe, then it's okay. The rise of fintech and embedded finance technologies ultimately lead to one question. How will all of this affect traditional banks? You know, uh, there will become, a lot of them will become dump pipes, basically providing uh, services to them uh, behind the scenes. And uh, you know, it's, like, it's this cake, I see. And the banks will have less and less of this cake. Not today, not tomorrow, but every day. So why is it so difficult for banks to change these legacy systems and provide the same experience like fintech companies? Technology is so old. It works for what it does, like uh, for a lot of things. But if you go into extreme personalization, eh, which uh, basically offer certain uh, uh, things to your customers that uh, you uh, like, you think, my God, how, does the, how do they know that I need this? I'll give you an example. In China, it's not even new, but I'll just give you a little taste of it. Alipay, you know, people with Alipay, their customers, sometimes those retailers, restaurants, whatever, they get loans, you know, because they know that this customer will need a loan, quick loan. They know he's paying on time always. He knows his revenues. So, you know, all of a sudden they realize, oh, maybe market situation, etc. Maybe it needs a small loan and they provide it to him in no time. So I think uh, this personalization or, or what I foresee is like, you know, you wear your glasses and you walk around. I mean, we're not there yet. And, and then you, they know you're in a store and then everything you can buy in your budget and in a good way, maybe lights up in your glasses. Like, oh, I can buy this camera. It's in my budget or not. These are things uh, you need a lot of data, good data, and we're far off. I mean, the big banks, what they're good at, I mean, they improve the apps, obviously, but the normal things, 
you can't differentiate much anymore because they learn, obviously. You know, normal things, looking balance sheet, uh, uh, looking at balance, looking at the, you know, paying things, etc. You know, they're caught up, but that's the simple things. The next step is really do magic, or at least give your customer a magical experience, you know. I think, and uh, but you know that makes you also more transparent. But often people ask me, Alex, about privacy. I say I don't really care. I mean, I care obviously about privacy, but I care more about the benefits of not having privacy. I have Alexa at home. Oh, I shouldn't have said that because she might uh, <laughs> come up and think. And and I ask questions. I don't mind if she. I don't hope she listens in much, but there's not much to listen in. Uh, but you know, you get used to it. If you get exposed, I ask for the weather, whatever. But some people feel different about that, and which is fair, you know. And I'm glad some people feel different because otherwise things might be misused. Personalization and seamless digital experience are two things that young generations expect as a standard. And with all these financial solutions from fintech companies and even non-financial institutions, is it possible traditional banks will slowly start losing B2C relationships? Yes, that's clear. I mean, they will move to... I mean, the disadvantage we have now with all these fintechs, uh, B2C fintechs, as they also B2B behind the scene, it becomes like a fashion brand. Because if you can switch accounts easily... It might also be like a fashion brand. Today you like Gucci, tomorrow you like Nike, you know, uh, or or Armani or whatever you you name it. Ralph Lauren, you will just switch. You feel like, oh, I don't like this pink uh, uh, Monster card. Uh, it's not me. I don't like to pull this pink card out of my wallet. You know what I mean? It's like uh, switching loyalty will be harder to get from your customers. You know, but if we become, if we get like this. Spotify playlist, you know, I don't switch, you know, I still have Spotify because I have my playlist and all my songs on it, but I have title as well. And so I'm forced to have parallel things, I mean, of course, privileged, in order not to start uh, doing all the work <laughs> to, to, to move uh, my playlist or the songs for my playlist another. So banks will become also very smart about this. So, I mean, that's one of the most important thing, not only provide great services, but also to find a way to, to hold your customers. With, I mean, in a good way. Embedded finance is growing rapidly in Europe, but in other parts of the world, like the US or China, they are far ahead. Are these countries driving the innovation? China is extremely advanced. But America, so, I mean, in America, certain things are slow, like checks are still around. But innovation comes everywhere. I mean, innovation comes more in poor countries. Look at M-Pesa uh, in Africa, you know, with not smartphone, any phone. You can pay things or receive money. I think innovation comes from, uh, from urgency. Innovation doesn't come from a place where there's no need. You know, it can be personal or country need. So I'm a big believer that uh, you will find great companies everywhere. You know, as long as you know, it's a question of people, you know. Yeah, I've worked with the African market, which is, let's say, considered not as advanced as Europe and so on. But because of the way they work, you can see different, let's say, uh, startups that adhere and, let's say, 
work with those necessities that the market has in order to bring innovation? Innovation we would never think of and they thought of and people use it. So poor countries are much better place for fintechs. There's a, there's a need for their services. Give an example, remittances, transfer-wise, wise now. Uh, as one great remittance company, uh, they provided uh, very inexpensive ways of people transferring maybe from Paris money to Casablanca, you know, where before there were companies that charged you 10 to 15%. They don't charge you the beginning. They charge you there. They charge you exchange fees, and they charge you the one who receives it. And with transferwise and other companies, there was a, f- a fraction of that, and that's fintech. And poor people, I come from a working class family, so don't don't think I'm uh, detached on this stuff. Uh, I'm just privileged now, but the, they look for things because every dollar counts. And when they send money home, they want to send as much money as possible. And so fintech is, uh, you know, I always tell everyone, I tell over and over, the legacy of fintech will be not the cutting edge technology. Legacy of fintech will be helping less privileged people having a better life, life that a lot of us take for granted, like a bank account, a credit card, whatever. Could developing countries drive disruptive innovation because of their unique and different needs that developed countries do not have? It's like if you, hey, if you get steak every day for the people who eat steak, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't think you think of cooking. <laughs> Maybe you do, but if you're always full, you always have a nice meal or whatever. Steak is not even the best example. If you're always a nice meal, you don't think of cooking. Oh, somebody's cooking, it's all done. Otherwise, you become a creative. So therefore, also for young kids, I think uh, it would be good, I mean, to to not provide them with everything, you know, to, to make them uh, stay creative, to be bored. If you have a phone, you're never bored, but that means you're not creative because you don't need to. With all these technologies disrupting the banking and retail industries, what can we expect to see in the next five years? Well, that's a very difficult question. I think, I, I, you know, I think uh, I come probably back to this kitchen thing. I think we have the technology we have and we will be just more surprised by how those people will mix or, or bake the cake. It's not the technology anymore. I don't think that's a, uh, maybe augmented reality, you know, all these things with the glasses. Uh, I spoke about this a lot in the past that will enhance it. But at the end of the day, it's just an ingredient. For some, for some kitchens, it might work. I mean, speaking kitchen as a business. For some, not. So. Don't focus on technology, focus more on uh, on how to empower or enhance somebody's life, you know, make it better, cheaper, etc. And then the technology is out there, I believe. You know, but I don't see ad technology. I mean AI, machine learning, deep learning will always become better, you know, we can have better data, more personalization. But I mean, it depends on the hands of the person who uses it. You know, and the problem we might have as well is How much technology can humans handle, you know? I mean, how much cutting edge do you need? I mean, uh, I'm more, I enjoy friendships and people more than technology. But it doesn't mean I don't need the technology I like, but 
you know, I think things advance much faster than we can handle it. Are there any current trends that we should expect to become even more popular in the future? You know, uh, now I think it flattened up with this buy now, pay later, which is, was a huge thing, you know. Uh, but it's not going to go away. B2B, now it will be B2B, buy now, pay later, basically not with the consumer. That's a hot trend now. I think we're still in the finding, you know, finding uh, the finding. Yes, even b- successful uh, fintech companies realize they have to make they have to be profitable. So you, you, they become more pragmatic, you know, to to do to do things that might be not as sexy, but at least it pays the rent. I think those are the trends I see at that to. To, it's consolidation what's going to happen now uh, of companies that will go out of business, consolidate. And and that's healthy because it's like a, a good foundation. You know, it's like a rest. We have to take a rest, reflect, and then go again. And it's something people don't do by themselves, but the market forces them and investors force them because, you know, if you spend too much more money than you have, it's a problem. Another interesting concept that I see with this final, like, for example, the buy now, pay later is like there is more trust given to the consumer in a way that banks never, let's say, allowed themselves to to give to the consumer. You think that will pose problems for the ones that are allowing it as well? Of course. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, uh, more credit bureaus will take a look at buy now, pay later. You know, outsiders. Uh, I see. I mean, I think it's a good thing that it exists. You know, let's get it not wrong, but obviously, uh, it's not good for everyone because we've seen in countries like America that, that they increasingly buy now pay later uh, for food, and that's. <laughs> I don't know if. It's- thing you know it's it's like an indication but it's a it's like a knife you know you can uh, a knife you can use it to cut vegetables or you can use it to hurt someone and technology all these things there's none of them were built like glana great company great management uh, uh, really great management uh, inspiring they they've done this business in order to provide customers with uh, solutions, you know, to buy things now, pay later. And, but uh, it's, it's doesn't mean that everything fintechs do turns out to be um, good for consumers. You know, everything that's uh, overdone needs some correction. No, if you smoke too much, it might be not good for you if you smoke sometimes. That's like, you know, I, when I give speeches, I give a lot of speeches. I usually give speeches, uh, give examples of real life because that re- people relate to real life much better. For instance, I give a good example of this. It's like when I tell the companies, it says you have to make mistakes. You have to allow certain section of your business to fail sometimes or, to, or, or fail not completely, hopefully. But And I say, you know, if you have children, you let them run. You know, and they fall, they hit their knees, they cry. Nobody would think of not letting their kids run in order not to hurt, you know, not, you know, to protect them. 
because you don't protect them at all because they don't grow like this. And the same with companies. They're like kids within organizations. They will have to fail sometimes in order to grow. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. If you did, please don't forget to like, share, comment, or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred channel. Make sure to follow Spiros on Twitter or connect with him on LinkedIn. Also, this podcast is sponsored by ACF Technologies. Enjoy rapid-fire questions, and I will see you next time. Which subject were you the worst at school? Um, German. Uh, I was very bad at uh, dictation because... Um, because I grew up as an immigrant and uh, and Switzerland has a slang and high German is different. So it was very difficult for me, but uh, it corrected with time. And, you know, the longer you went to school, but I was really bad, really bad. And I was very good at math, but not, thank God that saved me. What's the best advice you were ever given? Very good question. I wish I had. And I can't remember. I make my own advice from from my experiences from my, and it's very personal it's basically yeah, from my experiences uh, good exp- not the good from, from yeah experience as a period I define I define what's good for me that's why I'm very focused and disciplined nobody told me that uh, I wish somebody did but uh, I extracted this from my experience and from call it success and I, I apply this to everything now where i can that focus and when i talk to people stay focused you know um whatever but i haven't got maybe maybe subconsciously i did you know and when it comes to love in terms of uh, the love your parents gave etc that's you get advice it's not spoken but you live it you know, because I think that's that my parents, my friends, and my some of my relatives. I think it was not spoken, but it was uh, given, and 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 that's what makes me me much more than my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? I, I said it lately. I always wanted to be Spiros McGarris. Now I am. That means that means uh, uh, I dreamt to be in my position, and I've given up on that dream many times, like saying it's not going to happen. But I had this kind of dream to be uh, one of the best in something, you know. But um, I almost gave it up because that's what it is. Like you know, all yeah, I almost gave it up. But uh, life needs some luck too and fortune. But I always wanted to be what I am. And uh, yes, that doesn't sound cocky. I hope not. No, no, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds because, perfect. <laughs> because I'm very movie inspired as a child. I watched a lot of movies. I can't say the title. And I was very defined by movies, by old movies. And, and, and those people, again, my parents worked. Good, great people. But that was the situation. Those characters defined my view of life <laughs> it's crazy i think in some ways but uh, you know that's how it was i'm very personal here but i think our audience we have to be authentic you have to give something from yourself you know otherwise people sense it that's that's not good okay next mm-hmm. question 
And the last question is, we always ask this, if you could interview anyone, who would that be? I would have loved to interview Steve Jobs. And you know, people probably, a lot of people, young kids have forgotten about him. You know, eventually will be forgotten. Yeah, that's perfect. People would not have liked him, but I would have loved to talk to him. He inspired me a lot, I think. In the, yeah, a lot inspired me, but it's just one inspiration. It's one thing in, in, the, in, the, in the cake, Spiros cake. But look at parents, my friends, my bad experiences. It's all ingredients. And the one statement I relate to is when he said, connecting the dots of your life, things which you did passionately. I was a photographer in my youth. I almost became a photographer. Then I went to business schools. But when I do presentations, I always use beautiful pictures. It's very, So you're connecting the dots. So what Steve Jobs said when he used the calligraphy, he learned Japanese calligraphy. Inspired him to have those nice fonts on the on the Apple computer. I think connecting dots. I think so. Your kids, you know, the more things they do, the better. As long as it's passionately, you know. Oh, somebody told me something beautiful lately. He said, uh, "Why do the moths fly into the light? You know, although they know they're going to die, because it's a passion." It's beautiful. I think uh, in life, if you have this little bit, it's nice. As much as we can, you know, we have responsibilities. But I, I, I love passion. I love people passionate. And when, when people, when they say, I put a clean your shoes and they do it so well. And they say, God, the guy has figured it out. And, and, and they're so happy. It's like, it's dignity, everything. I love people with passion. And, uh, and I have so much respect for every profession when I see people who, who love what they do. Have to keep the human element. Yeah.